I'm going to be over the top. Say hello to the easiest way to find interested and qualified candidates. Dude, you need to tone it down. I was just napping. Uh, you mean Uncommon's automated sourcing that turns passive candidates into interested and qualified applications? Yep. Uncommon automation helps recruiters cut their sourcing time by 75%. Well, how much coffee did you have today? A lot. Anyway, dude, 75%. That sounds like black magic or something. Close. It's called automation. It's simple, actually. You just feed or post your jobs into Uncommon. The platform identifies your job requirements, and in seconds, Uncommon uses those requirements to search over 150 million candidate profiles. And then it pulls back only the qualified candidates. And don't forget, you can connect your email and Uncommon will provide automated outreach with your customized messages to activate those passive candidates, those pesky passive candidates. Even better. I'm going to one-up you. Uncommon shows exactly how the candidate meets all the job requirements with a side-by-side comparison view against the job requirements. Which means you won't be asking yourself, What in the hell is this candidate doing here? No, but you will be asking yourself, where has Uncommon been all my life? Seriously? Uncommon is the easiest way to find qualified candidates, active or passive. Visit Uncommon.co and use discount code CHADCHEESE for 20% off. Uncommon.co Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. It's the tinfoil hat edition of the Chat and Cheese podcast. As we were talking before the show, our our good buddy Jim Stroud, uh, I don't even know what title you like now, Jim, but um, everyone probably knows you that's listening, uh, or they should. Do you have a small audience? Give us just a quick (laughs) intro of you, and we'll get into the uh, the paranoia that we've we've talked about before the show. Yes, uh, you can call me a consultant these days. Uh, I have been in sourcing and recruiting for two decades, working for such companies as Google, Microsoft, Siemens, and a host of startup companies. Until quite recently, I was the uh, head of sourcing and recruiting strategy for Randstad SourceRite, now consulting for my favorite clients. And your your Twitter handle and your new podcast. Sure. My Twitter handle, I have two. Uh, one is at Jim Stroud. There I tweet about <clears throat> excuse me, HR and job search issues. And there is my other uh, Twitter, which is at Jim Stroud Show, where I talk about my podcast, which is the Jim Stroud Podcast, because I couldn't think of anything else to call it. <laughs> and there I talk about future issues. Like my latest show was on barcoding the homeless. What? <laughs> yeah. What was that? What was that about? Was that like the microchipping of employees that we talk about? No, no, no. It's it's uh, not as insidious. Okay, so there's this company in the UK. They're dealing uh, with the homeless problem in a very unique way. They're giving uh, QR codes to homeless people. Um, they're wearables. So they're not tattooed, which is coming. Not yet. Yes. Day. Yes. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Uh, so you give them these barcodes, and, and they and if someone says, "Hey, brother, can you spare a dime?" And you can say, "Oh, dude, I don't have any money." So they can say, "Well, you know what? Download this app and scan this QR code, and you can send me a dollar, or five dollars, or ten dollars." 
whatever you so desire. And when you look me up on this app, it will show you not only my face and name to verify that you're talking to the right person, but also give you a brief history of how I became homeless. See, I think this would be a great recruiting strategy for salespeople. <laughs> so you, so you, take, <laughs> you, you take the best homeless people that are getting the most money and you turn them into salespeople. Genius. Huh. Yeah, panhandling's not easy. That's for damn sure, right? Hell yeah. You got to sell your ass off. You're going to make some money on the streets. It is true. It is true. I, You know, when I was researching this, what was more interesting to me was not just not only the not only the fact of what it was happening, but all the comments people were giving uh, in response to it. And I thought some of the comments were like they went from, gosh, they went from uh, rude to snarky to just, you know, mildly sympathetic. <laughs> Uh, some and they remind me so much of the Chad and Cheese show. I, I must <laughs> mildly, <admit>. mildly sympathetic. <laughs> like, mildly sympathetic. Like one That's person good. said it's a it's a trap. If you if you uh, try to scan it with uh-huh. your phone, then the homeless person will just snatch your phone and run. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. I mean, that's a Chad comment. Yeah, 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 it's a trap. They're gonna take your shit. So then, can they use that QR code to go into Starbucks or wherever and get a, a muffin? Like, is that how that works? No, how it works is okay. Uh, once you're in the program, there are things that only there are a few things you can do with the money, right? And they have a good Samaritan or somebody on the back end who's actually monitoring. Uh-huh. How the money is used. So you can use it. And these, these are some of the uses that they cited. They don't cite all of them. They don't cite a couple of them in articles I read. One was for a passport, because if you're homeless, you need a passport. Get out of our country, homeless right. person. And, and then, On the Euro side, right? Yeah. And then the other example they gave was to collect money for a deposit on a rental space. So if you collect enough money, through panhandling, you can have enough money to, um, you know, rent your own apartment, which gives the question of how you pay for the rest of the year once you have your first and second month down. Those sound like serious milestones. Like, yeah. can I just get a cup of coffee? <laughs> it was like, damn. kind of weird. Kinda I got to save up for an apartment. So I gave I, on my podcast, I said, you know what, this it did not address the problem yes. to me. Kind of like, okay, so you're like, you, you give, you're enabling someone to get money. Uh, to stay on the street another day. It says that you're not really helping them. So I, I cited this site called Kiva. Uh-huh. Have you heard of it? Nope. K-I-V-A? All right. It's key, yeah, K-I-V-A.org. What it does is it allows you to do micro lending. So let's yeah. say you have a lemonade stand and you want some money to buy some lemons. Uh, well, someone can loan you as low as $25. And then once you make your lemonade money, uh, you give back, I think, $25.75 or something like that. You give a little kickback back, you know? And so I said, why don't you have the app do something like that where you help somebody start a business, even something small as shining mm-hmm. shoes in the subway station, you know, you buy them shoe polish, or maybe you donate business advice or you donate clothes, or if they're trustworthy enough, uh, maybe give them uh, temporary office space somewhere. So you can help them get on their feet, start a business, to get them off the street, and then eventually hire other people. So that was my input into that whole thing on my podcast. Well, the, these are all problems way too big for us to handle, I think, on the show. So why don't we why don't we rotate to uh, recruiting? I sent over a little, yeah, a little piece that we talked about. Uh-huh. Uh, last week, uh, revolving around an Intello's recruiting automation trends report. 
mm. focusing on uh, recruiters, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And then also you can talk about the paranoia that's baked into maybe why they're not doing some of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did not really see I know I've seen that because I saw it. I added it to my Twitter queue. Didn't read that specifically. Give me a couple examples from that. Well, the, the thing that that struck me was uh, phone or email. Sorry, is still the number one way uh-huh. that recruiters contact people. Yeah. Uh, phone and text were number two. Now they didn't separate phone or text. I I tend to think yeah. phone is probably lower than we think, mm. or at least trending lower. Mm. Um, and then you get into in mail, which is like thirteen percent, which is pretty low. Um, so what, I guess, what are your thoughts on, you know, best ways for a recruiter to contact a person? What are your most successful ways? What do you think of the findings? I think email is probably the most successful way. Um, when I speak with sources of recruiters that, that tends to work for them, also look at it from a consumer side, people who, uh, always, when they're surveyed about why they want to hear what platform they want to be contacted by when speaking to companies, email is always at the top. I'm noticing though, um, from our previous conversation, uh, you asked me about mm-hmm. uh, robocalls, and I'm, I'm sure that maybe that's is factored in that in Tilo report. I don't know; I haven't, I haven't read it just yet. Uh, but I know that some companies will use robocalls to reach out to talk to people. I mean, I haven't experienced a recruitment robocall yet that I know of. Uh-huh. Uh, this is really, really good. Uh, basically, when I get robocalls, it's some kind of political speech or something like that. So let me let me give you some numbers about robocalls that okay. came out recently from MarketWatch. Okay, so U.S. phones are inundated. This is from the story with twenty six point oh. three billion robocalls last year, wow. uh, which was a forty six percent increase over the eighteen billion spam calls placed in two thousand seventeen. Uh, the tech to make such calls has become easy and cheap uh, to access, so more robocallers are jumping into the fray. Uh, the junk calls are driving people to avoid the phone altogether, uh, with 52% of cell phone calls going unanswered. Uh, Mobile carriers AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint have pledged to implement a security protocol uh, within the next year to help weed out some of this spam. But it definitely is a problem, and I got to think it's affecting recruiters' ability to call people. I'd imagine so. I'd also imagine it would would damage a company's brand. If someone's calling me all the time as a robocall, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to start thinking negative about that company. Well, many times they don't don't say what the company is. They don't reveal who they they are. are. (laughs) They're just just calling in saying, hey, you know, we have this great offer. Manager student loan. Great offer, whatever it is, you know. And, And so from my standpoint, as Joel was talking about earlier, you know, I'll notice that calls are coming in from a local area code and they're just spoofing yeah spoofing the the uh, the area code so i mean i don't answer any call anymore unless it's already in my phone it can pop up a name you know what i see on my phone maybe huh? it's part of that because i don't answer the phone but uh, if i get a spam call um uh, presumably a spam call on my phone i see scam likely uh-huh. so it lets me think that apple is is monitoring or someone is monitoring all the scam or spam calls and put them into a system so that even when I when someone calls my phone, it says scam likely huh. or sorry. Do you guys see that on your phone? No, uh-uh. no, I don't. Are you an Android? Well, no, I have an iPhone. You have an iPhone too. My wife has an mm-hmm. app uh, that will basically uh, filter robocalls so she doesn't get mm-hmm. them, and the service answers the calls and tries to keep them on the line as long as possible and <laughs> annoys them. So there, there are incredible business opportunities with this problem, but it, it definitely is a problem. She was getting robocalled a lot. Now is she paying for the service. Yep. 
Yep, it's it's like three ninety nine a month, and it's well worth it, dude. That's like yeah, no shit. I, that's almost like McAfee, right? You have to get like McAfee or Norton, obviously. And it, it had always been said that they were the ones creating a lot of these viruses to ensure that you had to have some type of protection. So it's almost like protection racket. Exactly, it's a protection <laughs> racket, man. Yep. You got yep. you fell for the protection racket. Wow. You know what? A cheaper way to get around that might have been to go to the site. Uh, There's other sites like it, but one is called whocalledme.com. Uh-huh. If you do a search on DuckDuckGo, which is my preferred mm-hmm. search engine. I wonder uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> Privacy. Privacy, man. So you put in uh, who called me on DuckDuckGo, and you'll see a bunch of these kind of sites where you can do reverse lookups on these uh, robocallers. Does it work with out. spoof? Spoof numbers? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that when people get a number, they won't be able to use the same uh-huh. number on you twice. Uh, if they're using uh, these IP things, I forget yeah. what they're called. Uh, but at least if they use the same number in the past, you'll be able to see who they are and leave a comment saying this guy's a spammer or whatever. Mark, mark my words, SMS <laughs> yeah, is next. Shit. Well, that being said, you know, 39% of recruiters rank emails as their preferred outreach method and knowing that text and, and maybe in some cases you have their email address, but you don't have their phone number, but text works so much better. Why, mm. why aren't we kind of starting to yeah. gravitate toward text? In this case, I think, isn't it when someone sends you a text, there's a charge on your phone, depending on what kind of service plan you're on? I mean, that's pretty rare these days. Is it? Yeah. I always thought that in the beginning, when when I, when text first started catching on, I always thought that was the reason why recruiters hadn't done texting uh-huh. uh, en masse like they do email. If you send email, it doesn't cost anything uh, to the end user. But if you send a text to someone and it affects their bill, they're really not going to like you. So I thought that was the reason why recruiters sort of stayed away from it in the, in the beginning. But they're doing it more so now because it's not, you're not charged so much now. Do you use text in your recruiting? Um, yes, but people have opted in mm-hmm. to receive those. So different systems I may use when you, when you gather their, their information, they join a talent community and you know, have a little box there say, hey, would you like to be contacted by text uh, for opportunities? And they hit a little checkbox, then, it's, then you're golden. But if you don't have that and you see their phone number and you decide to try to text anyway, then no. And then I think for some recruiters, it may backfire on them because they don't have a system that allows people to opt in to receive texts and you decide to text yeah. them from your phone. That mm-hmm. could backfire on you back. And they could tell all their friends, hey, everybody, this person spammed me. Why don't we all get together and spam them as one? Well, that's I think that's why it's incredibly important why you use a, a, a Canvas platform or Text Recruit or something like that. Yeah. Where it is happening, I mean, through a formalized platform where you can gather all of the the information number one and you can uh, you can have kind of like those those opt-ins in place automatically it, and again it'd be much easier to do a blast let's say for individuals with java background uh, as opposed to just everybody on your list yes. and then throwing a bunch of irrelevant bullshit at them and chat and cheese sponsor next with two X's was really smart back in the day to uh, ask yes. resumes being posted if they wanted to receive text or were they open to that. So they have like 10 years a head start on most people with getting permission to send text to candidates. I have like 8 million or something like that. It's a lot. Mil- yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I have a shit ton. I saw in real, I saw in real life, in real life, in the spot in the wild, I saw... <laughs> This process that I thought made a lot of sense. Hardee's, there's a Hardee's down the street from my house. And mm-hmm. they have on their sign, you know, text 
one one two three to Hardy's if you want to work here. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing their sign, but that's what it was. And so yep. when you text that number, it'll send you back a message saying, "Hey, you, uh, would you like to receive um, notifications of new jobs here at Hardy's? Yes or no?" So I'm giving their permission, and then they are texting presumably people within a certain geographic area. So a new job comes up that's an opening. They send a text out to people in that in that area. Mm-hmm. They respond. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. So I see that being awesome for people who work in retail or who work in fast food restaurants and they want people who are close because from based on past experience, if someone works near the mall or mm-hmm. near uh, these fast food places, then they they stay longer because it's convenient for them to work. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Where are you with uh, chatbots right now, Jim? Oh, I like chatbots. I do. (laughs) I do. I like being a chatbot. I like chatbots. (laughs) I want to be a chatbot when I grow up. I like it because if nothing else, it it gives uh, job seekers... Um, a feeling of connection or a feeling of closure, depending on how the, the chatbot comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, uh, job seekers, you know, they, they submit their resume into a black hole, never to be heard of again. Um, but at least with a chatbot, you have the illusion that you are getting somewhere in the process. Yeah. Because yeah. you know? to me, the, the Hardy's example is great, but I think where it would be better as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm opting in for sort of messages about openings. Yeah. That, you know, texting in actually started a conversation <clears throat> like, what's your name? You know, do you have a driver's license? Uh, are you over 18? You can start screening people and having a conversation through chatbots mm-hmm. or in this case, uh, sort of an SMS chat. Um, and then you really get an engagement, uh, engaged candidate as well as you're building uh, a solid brand because people are like, holy crap, like they're really, they really care. They're really asking me questions. Um, mm-hmm. And you could potentially even take that to if they, you know, if they pass the pre-screening that you could actually set up interviews and, and get those people in front of a, a human being. They have platforms that are doing that now on the high volume side of the house, yeah. right? So job align, yeah. Talentify. I mean, there, there are platforms that are doing that now. So I, I agree. Take it past just the collection of the information and, and start the engagement right there. And take it even a step further. If I'm if I am talking to a chatbot right now about an opportunity, uh-huh. and I'm going through the screening questions, and I'm I'm hitting every button for them, then why not just send a message to a recruiter in real time saying, "Hey, I got a live one right now who's uh, doing all the screening questions, and would you like to talk to them? Because I'm talking to them right now." The robot says, mm-hmm. and they're hitting all of your requirements. And then you know the chatbot. Did yeah. I tell the chatbot, "Yeah." Then the chatbot tells the job seeker, "Hey, you want to talk to a recruiter? Here's a link. Schedule something." So, how do we get how do we get recruiters to engage and embrace these new types of 
technologies. I mean, to, to be able to really, really be confident because again, the survey actually said 75% of recruiters lack confidence in their ability to leverage uh, these new recruiting tools. <laughs> Adapt or die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I can say on that. Yeah. Because that is, uh, it's, it's the future. It's, it's not even the future. It's more like 15 minutes into the future. More like five minutes into the future. Uh-huh. You know, it is, uh, it is quickly becoming the standard. You know, yeah. uh, you'll have to become Tony Stark. I, I don't think it's a situation where the robots are going to take over and kick you out because there's some things that humans will always do. Yeah. But you're going to have to be Tony Stark and know how to talk to your Jarvis to do things because all your competitors will be doing the same thing. And if you can't, Shall we up, play a game? <laughs> <laughs> if you can't keep up, you're going to fall behind. That's right. Jim, you have a, I think in one of our first interviews with you, um, you talked about the two kinds of recruiters and sort of the, the farmers and the hunters. Yeah. I don't th- I think you, it was the phone answerers and the, the phone, whatever it was. Mm. Um, and you have an interesting, interesting perspective on that. Talk about that again and how, um, you know, having a chat bot that pre-screens people is going to expedite the, the people who have, you know, manually picked up a phone and said, are you over 18? Do you have a driver's license? They become pretty obsolete in that new world. To an extent. Yes. Um, just basic questions. I can see chat bots doing that for sure. I don't see them replacing recruiters though, because recruiters can hear the different nuances in somebody's voice. Uh, they can uh, ask more probing questions. They can say, why did you say that? Or, you know, my, their spider sense can kick in and they can ask additional questions to probe deeper. And you can't get that with a chat bot. You can get those basic pre-screening questions, though, that'll make the, the recruiter's life easier. So I do like that. I think a lot of these tools will make recruiters, for better or worse, better on the phone, you know? Because if you have these chat bots who can say, who can pre-screen, pre-screen people and you're talking to your desired audience, uh-huh then all I really need to do is just focus on building relationships with the uh, candidate and then further on with the hiring manager. It gives me more time to talk to the hiring manager and get that warm and fuzzy with them. Yeah. So what kind of recruiters are in most jeopardy? The ones that are not really strong with maybe emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes people prefer email, not just because it's more uh, efficient, but because they don't want to talk to people if they don't have to. Yeah. You know, uh, if you do a search on DuckDuckGo for (laughs) 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 for uh, for millennials losing interpersonal skills, Uh you'll see a lot of research and articles about how the machines have taken over and how they prefer uh, spending time with machines and games rather than engaging people, losing the art of looking someone in the face and talking and talking to them straight in their eye Uh or building up a conversation. And so I think that uh, that's one reason why email is so um, preferred by a lot of recruiters, not just for the efficiency, but also because because they don't want to actually pick up the phone and talk to someone. So someone who can be empathetic, mm-hmm. uh, someone who has all of the uh, emotional intelligence, soft skills, right. someone who can problem solve, that kind of thing. So uh, those people will be in high demand. So here's the thing. I mean, especially the people being in high demand because there's already a lot of pressure in recruiting as it is. And yeah. Roy Maurer actually reached out from Sherm, uh, the famed journalist over at Sherm, and uh, he he wanted us to actually talk about uh, do recruiters need a code of ethics? And we're talking about right now, <laughs> right as pressure starts to mount. So Steve Bates wrote this article, and he started off with. 
Low-level recruiting jobs can be among the toughest in HR. Practitioners are under extreme pressure to fill client positions. That pressure can tempt recruiters to make some less than ethical choices. And as we start to see the market squeeze even more, uh, do we see that we need a a code of ethics uh, even more now, or maybe in the next five minutes, as you were saying, than we did in the past? Asshole. <laughs> you know what? Okay, this is this is a little bit of a rant for me because I I wrote this article twenty. I, no, I reposted it in twenty fourteen. Uh, I think I originally wrote it in twenty twenty twelve. We love rants. <laughs> Rant away. The uh, first article I wrote was called "Resumes Are People Too." And where I talk about uh, ethics from a job seeker perspective. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote one called uh, A Great Idea Never Happened, which is licensed recruiters. How it would be great if recruiters had licenses, but it won't happen. Oh, Sherm would love that, man. They could certify recruiters and make a shit ton of cash. Money, money, money. Some people who see this issue and have actually... Uh, taking actual steps in making it, trying to make it happen, like ATAP, the Association of uh, uh, Town Acquisition Professionals. Town Acquisition Professionals, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm wrong <laughs> so they have a professional code of recruiting integrity, uh -huh. and which is which is really cool. And I think there are a couple other people out there who are doing it. Um, even if Sherm decided to do it, there'll be something. But the problem with it, I think, is that you can't really penalize someone if they don't subscribe to the code of ethics. Yep. Right. You know, so if you have a better business bureau thing on your on your business, then mm -hmm. you can get some kind of penalty uh, for not abiding by that seal of approval. You can't have the seal of approval on your business. So people don't think you're as legit as somebody who does have it. Mm -hmm. Right. If you are licensed by uh, or yes, uh, are licensed by ATAP, for example, or maybe even SHRM and you decide not to abide by those ethics then what's gonna happen slap on the wrist you get a slap on the wrist yeah. you might get a, a ding on your employment brand but you're not gonna have any fines and if you hit somebody in the pocketbook or the wallet that's when change will happen so although i'm a, I'm a i don't want government taking over everything if there was a government agency that uh watched over uh, licenses for recruiting the same way it does for hairstylists or the same way it does with pharmacists, whatever <laughs> like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you get reported and investigated and it shows that you're not following those processes. Then the government ent entity could say, Hey, you know what? We're going to hit you with a thousand dollar fine for every time this happens or a $10,000 fine. And once it gets out that you can get actual financial uh, repercussions for not abiding by the rules, uh -huh. then the change will happen. Until then, it's just talk. Yeah. Do you have any good horror stories in your in your pocket, Jim? <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, one of the horror stories that, that uh, I could go to was what these military recruiters would do. So, like, I read an article once about how military recruiters who were desperate to get their numbers up, mm -hmm. how they would tell people how to get around uh, job, uh, job, how to get around drug testing so that... Uh, <laughs> That's how Chad got in. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to say that. Hey, just because you have a, a, a ton of testosterone in your body does not mean you're taking drugs, okay? Just, Asshole. <laughs> so, also, they were giving out information on how to get fake diplomas, which is a booming market, by the way. Wow. Um, on the dark web. Yeah, I did, a, I did a, a show on that, too, fake diplomas. Make a lot of money that way. And so, uh, those are a couple of instances in that regard, too. And so when those uh, recruiters were found out, they got some mandatory retraining. You know, they got a little slap on the wrist and got in trouble for that. Uh -huh. But there was no penalties, no financial penalties 
for doing that kind of thing. So that kind of thing still happens, not just with recruiters. I mean, you see it in corporate too. There's some companies that may post jobs that don't exist just so that they can get an influx of candidates, Mm -hmm. you know, and they may say, oh, you know what? We're going to have a job like this again. It's evergreen. It's evergreen. (laughs) It's evergreen. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So they'll still post the jobs and get candidates, but you're basically wasting the the candidates time. It would have been better to have a talent community and say, hey, we have a talent community and sometimes we have jobs like this. Once you join our community and, uh, you know, stay in touch with us, that would be Mm -hmm. so much better and ethical than just saying, hey, here's a job, apply for this job that doesn't exist. But again, there's no financial repercussions, so it's not going to stop. So what about Glassdoor? I mean, knowing that there's no financial repercussions now, but what about candidates going to Glassdoor or companies working with, prospectively, these different staffing groups going to Glassdoor, getting getting their anonymous bitch on? Sure. I think it'll, I think it'll slow it down if it is done in mass. You know, usually when I look through Glassdoor, I see people complaining about a particular company, about the working conditions or the work-life balance, stuff like that. I don't see, and maybe I'm missing it, but I don't see as many people complaining about specific recruiters on Glassdoor per se. I always see them complaining about the company. I mean, am I, am I missing it? Are you guys seeing that more? There are some new sites. They don't come to mind immediately, but there, there's at least one or two sites that are just recruiters. And okay. we've talked about it on the oh, show. Yeah. We don't think there's much of a market yeah. in there mm-hmm. for people to go bitch about the recruiter that they had. Mm. Um, so I don't think there's much future in there. But um, yeah, some sort of a review system would be nice. I like your licensing idea, you know, because you're more employable if you have a license or maybe, you know, if you have an ethical you know, background and, and uh, you know, have a secured license, like you're more marketable, mm-hmm. more employable. So mm-hmm. I like that idea on its face. What about these staffing companies, though? What about these staffing companies actually coming up with their own code of ethics and holding recruiters to those code of ethics? And if they step outside of those lines, it's not a slap on the wrist. It is you're out the door. You're fired. You're fired. Yeah, I, I like that as well but i don't know how many enforce it and also don't know also don't know how many people are thinking well if we're on a straight and narrow uh and our competitors are not then we're missing out could be a competitive advantage to be able to go in and say hey we're straight we're transparent we've got a code of, of ethics and here are the shit bags that we've uh, we've kicked up to the curb <laughs> that would be a ballsy move that would be pretty good i would actually like applaud that my post Super Bowl hangover made that really hard to listen to, <laughs> especially after a shitty Super Bowl like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot to something, Jim. And you mentioned okay. DuckDuckGo two or three times in this podcast. Yeah. We're not sponsored by DuckDuckGo, but maybe we yeah. should be. Um, which is for privacy reasons, and they don't mm-hmm. track you, etc. And you mentioned before the show that uh, if you use Google, you're in uh, a different browser secret browser that isn't, you know, Chrome or Safari or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about you because you've been a sourcer recruiter for so long. And, and we talk about the show uh, about the death of sourcing. We've had many guests come on and say automation is going to make sourcing irrelevant. What are your thoughts on, you know, the current state of sourcing and where, where it will be in, let's say, you know, five years from now? I don't think sourcing will ever go away because there will always be new tools, new sites, new tech advances, uh, new ways to hack. So there always will be a need for sourcers in that perspective. It's almost like saying, will they ever, will we ever need to stop cybersecurity? Because once we fix all the cybersecurity of the day, that means no more new stuff mm-hmm. will come out, which isn't true, of course. Yeah. Well, you always, you always need cobblers, right? 
but yeah. how many are there these days? Yeah, you you always need some new stuff. So I don't see sourcing going away. I do see some of it being a lot of it being automated. I see a lot of uh, new tools coming out as always. Um, I see that there always would be those purple squirrels. Yeah. Um, I see that the source will be need more so for those purple squirrel kind of things uh, and less so for, I don't know, uh, retail workers or fast food or things like that. You will know? there be fewer or more sources in five years? I think there'll be fewer, but I think they will be better. And I yeah. say fewer okay. because there will be some who will, who will not evolve. It's the thinning of the herd. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, back in my day, all of, a lot of sourcers, they went to Monster and Career uh-huh. Builder, and that was, quote-unquote, sourcing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is not sourcing, young lady, <laughs> young man. And uh, as new things come about, there'll be more stuff to unearth, so it won't go away. You'll just be finding uh, hard, people that are harder harder to find. So cream of the crop, the, the, the people who are just rounded out in skills, that's what we're looking for. Basically, basically finding Jim is going to be really hard because he's not going to be on any browser that isn't secure. He's not going to be searching on anything. Uh, he's not going to have a barcode or a microchip in him. And he's always going to have his tinfoil hat on. Uh, but the way to still get me after all of that would probably be some kind of programmatic recruiting. Getting me with that advertising. Automation. <laughs> that advertising that I can't resist. Yes. That's going to be the way to get me. Uh-huh. And on that note... Thank you, Jim. Jim, we love you. It's always good to have you on the show, man. Uh, We appreciate you. Uh, Anything, any last words, people where they should go, what they should read, uh, what they should not do, maybe? Sure. Uh, Go to jimstroud.com, J-M-S-T-R-O-U-D.com, and subscribe to my blog. Listen to my podcast. Oh, yeah. I give away a lot of free stuff on my podcast. Please download it because I get a kickback, just to be honest. Love it. Excellent, Jim. We out. We out. Hi, I'm Tristan. Thanks for listening to my stepdad, the Chad, and his goofy friend, Cheese. You've been listening to the Chad and Cheese podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on all the knowledge dropping that's happening up in here. They made me say that. The most important part is to check out our sponsors because I need new track spikes. You know, the expensive shiny gold pair that are extra because, well, I'm extra. For more, visit chatcheese.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.